Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today in the podcast, we're talking about Kamala Harris and her presidential campaign. Harris is talking about things in the campaign that you don't ordinarily hear candidates talk about, like friendship. She's talking about aspirational things, too. Part of that is because she's a different kind of candidate. She's the first African-American and Indian-American woman to be elected to the Senate and to run for president. But part of it is a different way she's talking about some of the issues. We break that down today with Tal Copen, the Chronicle's Washington, D.C. correspondent. Next, Kamala Harris. What is she saying on It's All Political? And now for my chat with Tal Copen, the San Francisco Chronicle's Washington, D.C. correspondent. Tal how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you? All right. Today we're gonna we're gonna play like a uh, a new thing on on it's all political. Perhaps it will be the last time we do this. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna play some clips of uh, Senator Kamala Harris. Now you cover Kamala Harris every day in Washington. You've been on the campaign trail with her in South Carolina. That's correct. And I've known her I've known her for years here in California. I covered her Senate race, and I was recently on the campaign trail with her in Nevada. So we're experts so, now. We are experts <laughs> in what, what I, I deem us experts. Yes. Um, so now in many ways, and we've talked about this, she sounds very much like a typical presidential candidate. Sure. But in some ways, she sounds she sounds very different. She doesn't even talk about politics. It's more of a, an inspirational, aspirational kind of chat. Yep. Um, so I'm going to play a few clips, and some of them are of the inspirational, aspirational variety, and some of them are more uh, policy. And then uh, we will talk about them as, uh, as you said in your previous career, on the on the backside, right? Is that, is that the way <laughs> that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go to uh, King. Let's go to clip number one. Now this is um, an event uh, uh, I was at uh, this month with her in North Las Vegas. She was at a um, a school, and she was. This is an audience question. Someone asked her a question about the role that her sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha, had in her life. And she answered that question, and then she riffed for a bit about friendship. Let's go to that, King. It's funny, you know, in these moments where we talk about very important issues that to do with national security and foreign relations and the economy and climate and all that, another important issue that we don't talk about enough is the importance of friendship. Um, it, it, it is something that empowers us each. I, to the young people, Olivia, that I, that I mentor, you know, one of the other things I say is choose, choose your friends. You choose your friends. And, and make the choice to have friends who are kind and who are supportive. And, and, and they will lift you up and be a good friend. And so my sorority represents that for me. Tall friendship, you, you have covered many political events. <laughs> Uh, many political rallies. I have covered many political rallies. I that's a new one for me. Someone talking about friendship. What what's that all about? Yeah, it's really interesting. And you know, the AKA sorority of which Kamala Harris is a member. When I was covering her trip to South Carolina, she was appearing at an AKA gala, and so I did some reporting on you know what that sorority means because I am not a member of a black sorority or fraternity, and you know I think to a lot of Americans who aren't part of that world they kind of think of it as maybe normal sororities and fraternities. And it's, it's really not when you talk to the members, it's something really profound and deeper for them. 
And these organizations really, when she talked about service, they really are built around a notion of lifelong service to your community, to those around you. Uh, when I talk to you, there are some other AKAs up here in, on Capitol Hill who serve in Congress. And I asked them about it and they they said, you know, those are my sisters. And so, you know, when she talks about friendship, I think on the one hand, she's speaking to that. And on the other, you know, when you talk about being president, and this is something you would hear Obama talk about sometimes, who you surround yourself with can be very important because it can be a very isolating job. Uh, you you really need advice from the right people. And so assembling, you know, a cabinet that you feel comfortable with, that can that can challenge you, that can give you advice, those are all really important themes of politicians. But to hear it be described sort of in the terms of, of friendship and, and connections with people. It, it was very interesting to hear, to hear Kamala Harris speak that way. Yeah. Is it, if she's trying to make deeper connections or correct me if I'm wrong, the, what I'm reading it is beyond, you know, here are my 10 talking points, which she definitely does. I mean, we've each yeah. heard her stump speech a couple of times now. For sure. and I, yeah. We we're, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm almost to the point where I can, you know, your mouth in the punchlines, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what what does that say that she's talking about issues like friendship? Is it is she trying to build a deeper uh, bond with the with her, her followers, or, or 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 am I am I going off the deep end myself here? Well, you know, I, I don't I don't like to view off the cuff remarks too cynically. Uh, so you know, to 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 make it sound like there's some sort of you know deep plan for all these answers. I'm not sure we could go that far. At the same time, her campaign and what what the way she talks about her theory of the campaign is connecting with American voters in a way that resonates with them. You always hear about kitchen table conversations and pocketbook issues as the heart of campaigning. And so, you know, to a certain degree, it's probably smart to speak on these topics from the heart in a very human way, talking about things like friendship and not necessarily as politicians would speak to each other. And, you know, when you look at some of the early primary states, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, I mean, these are very heavy retail politics states where you have to go to cafes and barbecue joints and fish fries and, you know, church services and shake hands with voters and talk to them about what matters to them. So being able to sort of do that in terms that people can relate to is an important part of running for president. Well, let's go to clip number two now. I also saw when I was in Vegas, uh, uh, Harris speak at the Black Enterprise Women of Power Summit. And that's a uh, so this is a massive conference uh, um, uh, in a in a big Vegas hotel, the Mirage Hotel, and this is she's speaking to a room of twelve hundred professional Black women, and again, Harris was in inspirational mode. And before we start this clip, I'd like to say that uh, first of all, that that sound, that typing sound you hear in the background, is the sound of an actual working journalist, me, <laughs> taking notes as I'm recording this. And also, she is being interviewed by Star Jones, the uh, uh, TV personality, uh, uh, an attorney. She was on The View and, coincidentally, was on Celebrity Apprentice 4 and was fired by Donald Trump. They never got into that during the conversation. Let's go to the clip. And I would urge everyone here today to look around this room and hold this image in your heart. And remember that when we're in those rooms, seemingly the only ones like us, that we're all in that room with you. 
And it's critically important to remember that. And to remember that everyone here, when you're in that room, is cheering you on and is supporting you and is proud of you. And so sit in that room with you know, chin up, shoulders back, knowing that your voice is powerful and it represents a whole lot of people who are proud that you are there. Uh, Tal, what did you what did you make of that clip? Uh, she is, she's again in aspirational mode. Uh, the the crowd is is very quiet. A lot of mm-hmm's. Uh, it was it was almost like being in church. Um, it was a lot of uh, total connection with the audience here. Yeah, I mean that is one I've heard her say before, uh, probably more than once. This notion of, and I think. I think it's very personal to her because I think there have been lots of times that she's the only person in a room or in a place that looks like her. She's barrier breaking in a lot of ways. And, you know, I I believe she's only the second African-American United States senator ever, uh, woman, I should say, African-American woman senator uh, ever. And so, you know, I think that it's something that she thinks about and feels and there are people who have helped her in her life uh, feel comfortable in those situations and feel supported. And I, I do, my perception, having seen her speak to this before, is that it's not, um, it's not anything besides that she feels deeply connected to that idea. You know, I think she, she told me once, uh, one of the pieces of advice her mother gave her was, uh, you may be the first to do many things, but make sure you're not the last. It's this notion of, you know, even when you feel like you're alone, there are lots of us that feel like we're alone together. And I think that's a really important idea to her. And that's why you hear it sort of come from the heart. Mm-hmm. And that line about her mom has become a staple of the uh, a staple of the stump speech as well. OK, the next one, uh, also from that same conference, uh, has her talking about something that's a little more controversial. Uh, and this is something that both you and I have written about. And, and this is her history as a prosecutor. Of course, Kamala Harris' uh, first uh, elective office was the San Francisco uh, district attorney. Then she was California attorney general. Um, and then uh, before going to the Senate. And she <clears throat> talks about how, you know, even in her own family, people question why she wanted to become a prosecutor and not a public defender or work for the ACLU, as, as her sister does. Um, so um, <clears throat> here's a part of her explanation to Star Jones, again, at the Black Enterprise Women's Summit. Let's go to that one, King. And please excuse any typing, of course, if you hear it in the background. (laughs) That's just me working. I will never apologize for also feeling very strongly. If a child is molested, if a woman is raped, if one human being kills another human being, there needs to be serious consequences and accountability. And I'm not going to apologize. You know, people say, oh, you know, Kamala's popo. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody got to be popo because they're awesome victims. So the, the money uh, line there is Kamala is Popo. Uh, this is something that we see. Is it's it's a bit of a meme on Twitter, uh, various uh, forms. But uh, Tal, what 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 is she doing here? Well, she's leaning into it for for one thing, leaning into the criticism. You know, and this is also uh, something we saw with her book, where her book spends a lot of time right in the beginning laying out this notion that she was a progressive prosecutor, uh, her words, and, you know, sort of pre-budding a lot of the criticism that is going to come from that 
you know, prosecutorial background. It's, it's really interesting. We're going to see this a lot of different ways with a lot of different candidates on the campaign trail that America is, was not where it is today, 20, 30 years ago, in terms of the way we view crime, the way, you know, we're already seeing this. Joe Biden hasn't even entered the race yet, as many expect him to do. He's already seeing, you know, articles parsing things he said 20, 30 years ago that really sound unfortunate to our ears today. Kamala Harris recognizes that, you know, being a prosecutor does not have the connotation that perhaps it did when she went into it. When you look at the effects of the tough on crime approaches of the 90s and the mass incarceration, she did some things as prosecutor that could be seen as progressive. She did some things as prosecutor that could be seen not as progressive. But she's, you know, so far has shown a willingness to go there. But you also sense a little bit of trying to reclaim that back because, you know, it is true that as a prosecutor, you are the voice for victims. You do go after bad guys and put them in jail. And, you know, her whole campaign slogan for the people, uh, her campaign says, is a throwback to how she would introduce herself in court, you know, Kamala Harris for the people, which is sort of prosecutor speak. So there is an effort, I think, to make it a positive and not a negative. But, you know, just the hashtag Kamala Harris is a cop is a frequent uh, tag for many of her critics on Twitter who view simply her participation in law enforcement at all as almost a non-starter for them. And could that hurt her with uh, uh, communities of color? Could that hurt her with the low-income uh, voters? That that history as seen as that way, as Kamala is popo, could that hurt her? It's possible. You know, we don't... To a certain extent, we don't know yet. A lot of this is just settling out and they may find something very resonant about her campaign. You know, I think it's very easy to ascribe things to communities of color uh, because of a zeitgeist where, you know, I think that individuals of color have a very complex set of needs and wants and desires out of politicians, just like everyone does. And so to say, because she's a prosecutor, she can't resonate, I think is is largely oversimplifying it. I will say that this seems to be a particularly resonant line of criticism against Bernie Sanders supporters and, and those really diehard Bernie Sanders supporters who perhaps didn't come around to Hillary Clinton last election cycle. So if there's any one group in particular that it feels like this particular line of attack could be very resonant with. It is probably going to be that subset, which I don't know that you can boil down uh, to one demographic necessarily. Uh, I'm going to, I have another clip here, but uh, I'm going to spare our listeners the sound of me typing on this one. And <laughs> I'm going to read it. Um, this is, um, she, as, as you know, <clears throat> there's one, there's a couple of uh, big applause lines on, in her stump speech. But one of the biggest is when she talks about uh, giving a 500 monthly tax credit to families earning up to a hundred thousand dollars a year and uh, you know it's it's a it's a big applause line um, and uh, and she she when she when I heard her in Vegas she sort of uh, as you said earlier pre-butted it almost she said let me tell you how we're gonna pay for it <laughs> we're gonna repeal that corporate tax that was passed to benefit the top one percent and the biggest corporations in America Mm-hmm. So 
and that was her that was her quote. I did I did not des- I decided not to do a Kamala Harris voice because the only <laughs> uh, candidate I could do an impression of is Bernie Sanders. Yeah, that could so not end well. That would <laughs> it wouldn't end well or begin well. Yeah. Um, what is she What is she doing? What I say, let me tell you how we're going to pay for it. It, it. it sounds like she's trying to pre-butt the criticism of uh, some of the Democrats of the race, the more left-leaning ones that that. Uh, Everything they're proposing is is way too expensive. It's going to raise your taxes, blah, blah, blah. What, what is she doing with this thing? It's probably partly that. It's also probably partly the fact that repealing corporate tax cuts, you know, isn't, isn't populist, you know, well-received message. So it's partly this notion of, you know, everything is, you know, free college, Green New Deal, the criticism is always like, oh, but the price tag, so many trillions of dollars. So in in one part, it's responding to that. And, you know, I'm not sure the math actually works out. But on the other hand, it's it's dovetailing a populist message with a populist message, which is putting more money back in the pockets of working class families and sticking it to the greedy corporate rich, you know, who have been bleeding this country dry with their benefits that they don't really need. I mean, those are both uh, resonant progressive talking points. So, you know, she has a bit of a different approach to this issue of income inequality than many in the field, which is partly why you see her leaning into it. You know, when I did an interview with her uh, late last year for a profile that uh, the Chronicle put out just before she announced for president, uh, I was sort of asking her about different accomplishments. And she told me she was, quote, so damn excited uh, about her LIFT Act, which is this, you know, tax credits plan. And she said she spent two years developing it, you know, the two years she was in the Senate with experts. So this really, I think we're going to see her lean into very heavily on the campaign trail. This is her her sort of signature income inequality message. And that's why you see probably her so willing to go straight to it and talk about how she wants to pay for it and talk about how she wants to finance it, because that's going to be her populist uh, message to voters. It, it is. It is the lead. And she uh, she is. There's definitely some excitement about it. Uh, it when I talked to people, they were, you know, at these events, they would bring it up spontaneously. I said, what did you like? What would you like about what had what did you like about what you heard today? And to a person, they said, oh, I, I like that $500 uh, uh, or a month tax credit. And they like it also because it comes monthly as opposed to a big tax rebate at the end of the year. Um, it was So it's, it's resonating in that way. The numbers, as you alluded to, don't pencil out. A couple of different uh, nonpartisan groups have said that it, it, the numbers just don't work out. And then there's, there's something in the fine print, you know, as, we, as you said in the story in the Chronicle a couple of weeks ago, when she says she's going to repeal the tax benefits of the 1%, the actual text of this bill, the LIFT Act, says it would be repealed for those who earn more than $100,000. Now, technically, the 1% are families who have incomes of about $421,000. So there's people in there, many of them her supporters, who are kind of in no man's land when it comes to the effects of this bill. All right. Tall. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening to this. I'd like to thank Tall for talking to us from Washington, D.C. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for producing this podcast and the King, King Kaufman, for helping to produce this podcast. And remember, whether you're aspirational or inspirational, it's all political.
It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli, J-O-E-G-A-R-O-F-O-L-I, or you can email me at jgarofoli at sfchronicle.com. Support It's All Political and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.